All right. Turn in your Bibles, if you would. Genesis chapter 42. Sorry, 41. Nobody caught that, huh? Genesis chapter 41. Now, it, it seems that the, the hinges on, in Joseph's life have, have been based on dreams. In fact, two dreams. He had two dreams uh, about ruling over his brothers when he, when he was younger. Uh, and these, these two dreams, if you remember, really angered his brothers to the point of where uh, they sold him into slavery. They just wanted to get rid of him. Well, the next set of dreams are after he's been falsely accused and he's sitting in a dungeon and the king was, was angry with a couple of his servants and he threw them into the same prison that Joseph was in and, and, uh, and it seemed like it was a lighter sentence, but it's really not a lighter sentence. It's a difficult sentence. And then these two had dreams. And with God's help, Joseph was able to interpret those dreams. And, and one, was, one of those prisoners was a cupbearer. The other was a, a baker. And, and the baker ended up dying as the dream said he would. And cupbearer ended up being exalted as the dream said he would. And so he asked the cupbearer, if, if, I could just, if you could just do me one favor, could you just remember me when you go back to the king? Just tell him about this place. I mean, Joseph is tired of being in... In, in this prison, and the problem is, is the cupbearer forgot about him. He didn't remember him, and, and the next thing you know, it's, it's two years later. Joseph's still in prison, and today, Joseph's dream interpreting skills are going to be put to the ultimate test, because the king is going to have two dreams himself, and these two dreams really freak him out, and, and nobody in his whole kingdom can interpret the dreams except, well, of course, Joseph. But he had no Joseph yet. But it shouldn't really surprise us that um, Joseph is, is going to be the one that does this because what we've seen in Joseph's life throughout is that he's been faithful in the little things. I mean, just faithful in the ordinary, the everyday life, and he's faithful in the little things. Well, then the normal uh, the, um, way that God works is that as we're faithful in the little things, then God gives us bigger things to be faithful in. And so today's a hinge passage of sorts. And and we're going to see how, how God has used the test in Joseph's life to prepare him for the bigger tests that are ahead, because that's how God works. It's just normal, little, day-to-day -day test. And then as you're faithful in those day-to-day -day tests, then you get bigger tests. I mean, we saw that, remember, in Abraham. God promised him and, and his wife, Sarah, that they would have a, a son. Abraham was 75. She was 65. They were pretty much past childbearing years at that point. Uh, but it was 25 more years before um, God opened her womb to be able to conceive. Abraham and, and Sarah had doubts. I mean, they made mistakes along the way, right? They suffered consequences of those mistakes. But, but Abraham was a man of faith, and, and he believed in God, and, and, and God saved him. And, and then when, when their son, the promised son, is, is a young man, probably in his mid-20s, he God, God really has a final test for Abraham to sacrifice his son Isaac. Can you imagine if God gave him that test early on? He wouldn't have been ready for it. But since Abraham was faithful in the little things, well, his faith was proven as he was faithful in the big things. And then there's Isaac. Did he have any tests? Oh, man. 
Absolutely, he had twins. Sorry, girls. Um, <laughs> but, but he has two sons, and these two twins could not be more opposite from each other. And then Isaac and Rebecca, they have favorites. And they put those two boys at odds with each other. And, and Jacob, who was the promised twin, he, he had plenty of tests also. Remember Jacob, right? Jacob, who would later be called Israel, he had multiple wives, and the favorite wife of his was, was barren, and then he has this deceptive father-in-law. And what we see in Joseph and in Jacob and in Isaac and Abraham is that the normal way God works is to pre- prepare you for greater things by testing your faithfulness in the little things. And we've been just tracing Joseph's faithfulness in throughout these trials probably for a little bit over a month now. And it's just been one thing after another. He goes from being the the favorite son to the presumed dead son. He's sold into slavery. He went from being the head of Potiphar's house to being in Potiphar's jail. Not because he deserved it, but because he was falsely accused by Potiphar's wife. But what did he do in jail? Well, he was faithful. Faithful in the little things. And so he was then made head of Potiphar's jail. But he was forgotten about in Potiphar's jail. And so look at verse 1 of chapter 41, just the first part. It says, now it happened at the end of two full years. Two full years of what? Well, two full years after the cupbearer was restored to his position at the king's palace. You know what we don't know? We don't know how long Joseph was in prison prior to these two years. It never says. What we do know is that he was there long enough Uh, for him to prove himself and be put in charge of the other prisoners. But these two full years afterwards, we know nothing. Look at at how 40 ends in verse 23. Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph or forgot him. 41, now it happened at the end of two full years. In between there is two years. What do you think he was doing during those two years? I think he was faithful. I mean, that's just the consistent thing you see in his life. And I think God was continuing to prepare him. So he's been a slave now for 13 years in all kinds of different circumstances, and God is growing him. And I believe part of that growth is is Joseph's trust in those two dreams. Remember those two dreams when he was 17 years old? By the way, that was God's word. God gave him those dreams. And and today we're going to see that God's going to go, way beyond Joseph's wildest dreams. And you would think, I mean, Joseph, you would think that he, he probably heard about his great-grandfather Abraham's faith. Surely that oral tradition was passed down. Surely he heard about his grandfather Isaac's faith. And if he's the favorite, favorite son of his dad, I, I would be certain that he had long talks with, with Jacob about how God worked in his life. And then you couple that with the dreams God gave him, and and Joseph has God's word in oral tradition. Moses hasn't written this yet, but Joseph had to have delighted in God's word to have this kind of faith and this kind of perseverance. I love Psalm 119, verse 92. Look what it says. If your law had not been my delight, then I would have perished in my affliction. If your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. Why didn't Joseph perish in his affliction? Is it because he had a lack of affliction? No way. 
He thrived in his affliction. Why? I believe it's because he delighted in God's word. He thrived in it. And, and I wonder, for me, like, do, is that me? Because if there's one thing that I can know for sure, affliction is coming. Okay, affliction is coming. It's coming, and, and I don't know when it's going to happen. I don't know how it's going to happen. I just know it's going to happen. There are going to be more tests in your life. There are going to be more trials in your life. There's going to be more temptations that come. Affliction is coming. You can absolutely count on it. And if God's word is not your delight, then what Psalm 119 says is you're a goner. And instead of, of, of rejoicing in affliction, you'll perish in it. You'll complain. You'll grumble. You'll blame shift. You'll push people away from you. You'll feel sorry for yourself. And then you will doubt the trustworthiness of God. You see, we have a responsibility as it relates to God's word. And I, I hope, I, I hope you spend time each day just meditating, just spending time in God's word. If, if all you get is Sunday mornings from 10.30 to 11.30 or 10 to 11.30, woefully inadequate. We may, you may get more than maybe other places you'd be, but if you're not getting consistent time delighting in God's word, you'll perish in affliction. But we have a responsibility. Look at 2 Timothy 2, verse 15. Be diligent. Some translations say study hard. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. So that's our responsibility. We're to delight in God's word and be diligent to study it hard so that we don't misrepresent it. On Monday night, we were working through with, with the men just the Old Testament survey. And, and this last week, we were looking at Ezra, the priest. Look at Ezra 7.10. I love this verse. For Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to practice it and to teach his statutes and ordinances in Israel. Well, that's a three-point sermon right there, right? That's good stuff. So what does he do? Study God's Word, he practices God's Word, and then he teaches God's Word. By the way, that's Joseph. He knew God's Word. He obviously practiced it because he was faithful uh, wherever he was, and he shared God's Word to others as God taught him. God gave him his Word. This is what the dream means, and he told the people there with him. So let's read verses 1 to 8 here, and let's get a running start and see what's going on with with Joseph now. 41.1. Now it happened at the end of two full years, Pharaoh had a dream, and behold, he was standing by the Nile. And lo, from the Nile there came up seven cows, sleek and fat, and they, gave, and they grazed in the marsh grass. Then behold, seven other cows came up after them from the Nile, ugly and gaunt. And they stood by the other cows on the bank of the Nile, and the ugly and gaunt cows ate up the seven sleek and fat cows. Then Pharaoh awoke. He fell asleep, dreamed a second time. Behold, seven ears of grain came up on a single stalk, plump and good. Then behold, seven, seven ears, thin and scorched by the east wind, sprouted up after them. The thin ears swallowed up the seven plump and full ears. Then Pharaoh awoke, and behold, it was a dream. Now in the morning his spirit was troubled. So he sent and called for all the magicians of Egypt and all its wise men, and Pharaoh told them his dreams, but there was no one who could interpret them to Pharaoh. 
Now, most of us have significant moments in our lives when we remember exactly where we were when it happened. I remember when 9-11 happened. We, had our, we were having our staff meeting. It was a Tuesday morning. And when the, sec- the secretary came in, she said, uh, hey, if you guys could pray for New York, a plane hit one of the towers. And, and, uh, and so we did. And then she came back in a few minutes later, and she said a second plane hit another one of the towers. I, I remember exactly where I was at. I remember where I was when I got engaged. I remember when Elvis died. I remember looking at the newspaper stand and and seeing the, the king is dead, it said. Pharaoh, he's by the river. That, that was a significant thing for him. And, and again, I think I said it last week, these, these dreams are, are so disturbing, but they don't seem that disturbing, do they? Like, they don't seem bothersome. I mean, what's the big deal with fat and lean cows and plump and lean or, uh, ears of corn? Like, why, why is that bothersome? The other night I had a dream. Sherry and I went on a cruise. No kids. And then Jeff and Chrissy Bowling joined us on the cruise. And then Josh and Sophia Head joined us on the cruise. Now, the trick was, as the Heads said at the last minute, they couldn't find a babysitter, so they brought their kids with them. Okay. I mean, we got head kids running literally wild all over the ship. And I'm thinking, where in the world is Joseph when you need him? That was a disturbing dream. But there's something about cows and corn in this Nile that's disturbing to him. And so let's work through that. Number one, point number one, if you're taking, jo- or taking jokes, <laughs> taking notes, Joseph is remembered. Joseph is remembered. Remember the last verse in verse, four, the last verse, in verse 40 says, the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. Well, that's been two long years now, right? Two years of dungeon life, two years of wondering, two years of waiting. I, and I don't think that Joseph was at that point yet where he gets to at the end of the book, where he says, what, what, God meant for, or what you meant for evil, God meant for good. I don't think he was there yet. I think he grew to that point. God is, is working here, uh, and, and his plan is perfect, and, and his timing is perfect, and, and Joseph may not completely get it. Probably he doesn't get it because his, his ways are not our ways. Like We don't always understand what God is doing. And, and part of his timing, God's timing in all of this, is to get, give the king a dream while, while standing by the Nile. That's not filler. Okay, there's no filler in Scripture. The Nile was an important river. It gave life and, and food and nourishment. The, the whole country depended on the Nile. And that's where they got their irrigation from. So to see seven well-fed cattle grazing in a meadow, meadow and then seven uh, thin cattle come up and, and eat them up, that was really disturbing for him. And so you can just kind of picture the king going, oh man, I, I want to go back to sleep, but I don't want to start dreaming about cows again. And so he goes back to sleep, and next thing you know, he's dreaming about corn. Seven ears of, of grain on one stalk, and seven thin ones come and devour them. Again, that, that's not a big deal to us, but it's huge to him. And he gets up in the morning and it says his, his spirit is trouble, troubled. He, so he's clearly disturbed by the dreams. And so he gets the magicians and he gets the wise men and and brings them in and all of them are baffled. Now these magicians were probably astrologers. 
They were, they were trained in, in pagan incantations and, and magic formulas, and, and, and so they're, they're trying to discern the future. They, they, they probably came before Pharaoh, and they're, they're chanting their, their magic words, and, and they've got all these impressive rituals that they're going through, and literally nothing works. And you would think that, that one of them would just lie. Oh, this is what it means. They didn't even lie about it. They said nothing. We, we don't know. We're, we're baffled. We're as confused as you are. And, and the cupbearer is probably sitting by the king going, come on, something, something, something. Give me something. Is there anything for the king? Because he's going to get angry and look who's going to go back to jail again. Except the cupbearer remembers Joseph and he's like, ah, I got a guy. I know somebody. Look at verse 9. Then the chief cupbearer spoke to Pharaoh, saying, I would make mention today of my own offenses. Pharaoh was furious with his servants, and he put me in confinement in the house of the captain of the bodyguard. Both me and the chief baker, we had a dream on the same night, and he and I, and each of us dreamed according to the interpretation of his own dream. Now a Hebrew youth was with us there, a servant of the captain of the bodyguard, and we related them to him, and he interpreted our dreams for us. To each one he interpreted according to his own dream. And just as he interpreted for us, so it happened. And he restored me in my office, he being the Pharaoh that he's talking to. He restored me in my office, but he hanged him. And suddenly, after forgetting Joseph for two full years, the cupbearer remembers him. And he tells Pharaoh of this, this, this Hebrew lad, this Hebrew youth that has this unique ability to interpret d- dreams. But, but look at verse 9 again. He says, Then the chief cupbearer spoke to Pharaoh, saying, I would make mention today of my own offenses. Literally, that word offenses is, I would make mention of my own sin. What's the sin? He gave his word, and he didn't follow through. That's a good lesson for us today, isn't it? Give your word, you follow through. If you don't, it's sin. I mean, an an Egyptian cupbearer knew that. It's been two years, and he finally remembers that he forgot. Now, if I'm Joseph, I'm thinking, it's been two years. Now you remember? Two years ago, I asked you to put in a good word for me. Now you remember? That's why Joseph's in the Bible, and I'm not. Look at verse 14. Then Pharaoh sent and called for Joseph, and they hurriedly brought him out of the dungeon. And when he had shaved himself and changed his clothes, he came to Pharaoh. And what a sight he must have been. Two years living in the dungeon. You cannot go before the king two years in the dungeon. So they shaved him, they changed his clothes, and they present him to Pharaoh. And imagine how Joseph must have felt going from this stinky, dark dungeon to standing before the most powerful monarch in the world. Point number two, Joseph is tested. This had to be intimidating. And, and, and listen, if, if, if we're being truthful, I think some of us would, we were put in that position, we'd probably go in front of the king and we'd want to be polite, but I think we, some of us might be a little bit, little bit sarcastic. Sorry, king, can't, can't see you so well. You know, I've been in the dungeon for two years, unfairly. 
But he doesn't say that. Verse 15, Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have had a dream, but no one can interpret it, and I have heard it said about you, that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. Joseph then answered Pharaoh, saying, It is not in me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. And the way Joseph responds tells you what happened over those two years. Right? We know where Joseph's hope was. When Pharaoh says, I hear you can interpret dreams, it would have been really easy for Joseph to be like, ah, oh, shucks, Pharaoh. I, I, it's nothing really. I just something I play around with every now and then. But he doesn't do that. Instead, he declares to the pagan king, it ain't me. Like, it's not me. I, I can't interpret dreams. It, God is the one who's going to give Pharaoh a favorable answer. Joseph knew where his success came from. He didn't let the, the splendor of the palace or, or the majesty of the king forget, make him forget who he was. Make him forget that if, if your dreams get interpreted by me, just like, no, it's not me. Like God is the one who gave me the ability to do that. Really, it's similar to what, the, what Paul told the Corinthian church. He asked them the question. He said, what do you have that you did not receive? What's the implied answer? Nothing. Listen, King, anything, anything good that comes from me is God's doing. And what a privilege it is when God chooses to use you. But you have to have availability to be used by God. You know the saying, right? God is not so concerned with your ability as he is your availability. In our student ministry, I used to always encourage our students to, to pray the three open prayer from Colossians. God opened their hearts to receive the gospel. God opened a natural door of opportunity for me to present the gospel. And then God opened my mouth to pro proclaim the gospel. Listen, no, no man comes to the Father unless the Father draws him. So, so God, open their hearts, prepare their hearts. And then, then, God, give me a natural opportunity, a natural open door, not something I have to force my way into. Just a natural door. A natural door might be fear. It might be anxiousness. It might be loneliness. It could be finances. It could be political stuff. Oh, you see what's all going on in the world today? Just natural door. If someone says, man, it's really hot out here today, don't say, not as hot as hell. Do you know where you're going if you die? Natural. And if, if, if God opens their heart and if God opens a natural door, then, then you have to pray that God will open your mouth as well. Because sometimes we have those opportunities, right? And we don't say anything. Joseph said something. He could have easily kept silent about God. He could have easily just let it pass. And, I mean, this is the king, right? He could have thought, I'm just going to be quiet for now, and, and, and then we'll, we'll tell him about God later. And, and Joseph makes it known up front that if, if your dream, Pharaoh, is going to be interpreted, it's because God is going to be the one that does it. Look at verse 17. So Pharaoh spoke to Joseph. In my dream, behold, I was standing on the bank of the Nile, and behold, seven cows, fat and sleek, came up out of the Nile, and they grazed in the marsh grass. Lo, seven other cows came up after them, poor and very ugly and gaunt, such as I had never seen for ugliness in all the land of Egypt. Isn't that a funny statement? 
And the lean and ugly cows ate up the first seven fat cows. Yet when they had devoured them, it could not be detected that they had devoured them, for they were just as ugly as they were before. Then I awoke. I saw also my dream, and behold, seven ears full of good um, came up on a single stalk, and lo, seven stars withered, thin, and scorched by the east wind sprouted up after them. And the thin ears swallowed the seven good ears, and I told the magicians, but there was no one who could interpret it, explain it to me. Now Joseph said to Pharaoh, Pharaoh's dreams are, are one and the same. God has told Pharaoh what he is about to do. The seven good cows are seven years. The seven good ears are seven years. The dreams are one and the same. The seven lean and ugly cows that came up after them are seven years. And the seven thin ears scorched by the east wind will be seven years of famine. It is, it is as I have spoken to Pharaoh. God has shown to Pharaoh what he is about to do. Behold, seven years of great abundance are coming in all the land of Egypt. And after them, seven years of famine will come, and all the abundance will be forgotten in the land of Egypt, and the famine will ravage the land. So the abundance will be unknown in the land because of that subsequent famine, for it will be very severe. Now as for the repeating of the dream to Pharaoh twice, it means that the matter is determined by God, and God will quickly bring it out. So Joseph is way different than the Pharaoh's magicians, right? No hocus pocus, no no magic chanting or anything else. He just says, this is what God says. And, and he's without hesitation. He has great clarity. Joseph says there's going to be seven years of huge harvest, and it's going to be followed by seven years of devastating famine. By the way, this is the fourth time in the chapter that Joseph mentions that this is the work of God to the most powerful man on the earth. How long has Joseph been out of prison at this point, do you think? An hour? Yeah, a few minutes, maybe a few hours. But the interpretation isn't over. God has more to say through Joseph. Look at verse 33. You've got to love this. Now let Pharaoh look for a man, discerning and wise, and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh take action to appoint overseers in charge of the land, and let him exact a fifth of the, pro of the produce of the land of Egypt in the seven years of abundance. Then let them gather all the food of these good years that are coming and store up the grain for food in the cities under Pharaoh's authority and let them guard it. Let the food become as a reserve for the land for the seven years of famine, which will occur in the land of Egypt so that the land will not perish during the famine. Now the proposal seemed good to the Pharaoh and all his servants. What a great conclusion, right? Hey, Pharaoh, listen, that's not all. God says you're going to need someone who can manage this stuff. Can you think of anyone? Verse 38, then Pharaoh said to his servants, can we find a man like this in whom is a divine spirit? That has got to be one of the best questions ever. Anyone? Can anybody think of anyone who has a spirit like Joseph and abilities like Joseph and wisdom like Joseph? I know a guy. Joseph. Point three, Joseph is elevated. He's elevated. Look at verse 39. So Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has informed you of all of this, there is no one so discerning and wise as you are. You shall be over my house. And according to your command, all my people should do homage. Only in the throne I will be greater than you. Pharaoh said to Joseph, see, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took off his signet ring 
from his hand, and he put it on Joseph's hand, clothed them in garments of fine linen, and put the gold necklace around his neck. Listen, this is a very elevated position. He's not just head of Egypt's food and uh, drug administration, right? He's, he's prime minister. He's in command over the entire kingdom. I mean, the only one higher than him is Pharaoh. And, and the fact that he has the king's signet rings mean, means that he has authority. I mean, he now has the power to issue, issue official edicts. He has the clothing that only Egypt's mightiest men have. Look at verse 43. He had him ride in the second chariot, and they proclaimed before him, bow the knee, and he set him over all the land of Egypt. Moreover, Pharaoh said to Joseph, though I am Pharaoh, yet without your permission, no one shall rise his, raise his hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh named Joseph Zaphtanah Paneah, and he gave him Asenath as the daughter of Potiphar, a priest of On, as his wife, and Joseph went forth over the land of Egypt. He just got out of prison. I mean, he, they had to wash him. And now people are gonna bow before him. Well, we've heard that before, right? 17 years ago. Remember that dream? And it, it is to be made clear here to all the people that Joseph is a man of outstanding ability, outstanding character, and all authority was before him when he came. Joseph is in complete control of the affairs that meant life and death to multitudes. He has a new name. You know what his new name means? A revealer of secrets. And he has a new wife. An hour ago, He's a forgotten slave in the king's dungeon. Does anyone, anyone think for a second that he woke up in the morning and thinking, I'm going to be riding around in a chariot with people singing praises to me? There's no way. What was he doing? He's just faithfully serving. And the only reason that he was in that prison is because he was falsely accused. Completely unfair. And now everything is coming true, just as God said it 17 years ago. Look at verse 46. Now Joseph was 30 years old when he stood before Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went through all the land of Egypt. During the seven years of plenty, the land brought forth abundantly. So he gathered all the food of these seven years, which occurred in the land of Egypt, placed the food in the cities. He placed in every city the food from its own surrounding fields, Thus Joseph stored up grain in great abundance like the sand of the sea until he stopped measuring it, for it was beyond measure. Now before the year of famine came, two sons were born, were born to Joseph, uh, whom Asenath, the daughter of Potiphar, a priest of On, bore to him. Joseph named the firstborn Manasseh, for he said, God has made me forget all my trouble and all my father's household. And he named the second Ephraim, for he said, God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. He's 30 years old. He's 30 years old. He's just spent years in prison. And now he and his Gentile wife have two sons who would later be publicly adopted into the, the tribe of Jacob and become heads of two tribes of Israel. Now some may be reading this and wondering, wait a second, 
he married a Gentile for a bride. Yes, he did. He's a picture of Jesus in that way, isn't he? Jesus married a Gentile for a bride as well. Both were rejected by his brothers, by their brothers. And as Joseph is a picture of Christ, that should not surprise you. God kept his word to Joseph, and every dream has come true, I would say, beyond his wildest imaginations. And all of this, everything that's happening here is part of a greater plan of a sovereign God. And this sovereign God is, is, is planning to preserve Israel through this famine. He's planning to prepare the, the way for the birth of Christ. And so Joseph may have been forgotten by the cupbearer, but he was never forgotten by God. All of this was part of God's sovereign plan for Joseph and the, for, for the salvation of the world. And so how do we apply this? Three, three things that I, I just, I pull from here that encourage me. Number one, go a little bit longer. Okay, go a little bit longer. Joseph patiently endured for at least two years, but I would say he actually endured for 17 years. Okay, he, he endured from the time he was sold as a slave to becoming prime minister. 17 years, he just patiently endured. The example that scripture uses is, is like a farmer. Look at James 5, verse 7. Therefore, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. The farmer waits for the precious produce of the soil, being patient about it until it gets the early and late rains. You too be patient. Strengthen your hearts for the coming of the Lord is near. Listen, we, we can patiently go on a little bit longer because we know the return of Christ is near. We can go a little bit longer by looking up at, at his coming rather than looking around at our circumstances. It's really just a matter of perspective. We said it last week, the most important thing you think about is what you think about when you think about God because it will affect the way you think about everything else. Like if you have the bright perspective on who God is, can you go a little bit longer? Not like next week longer. Can you go today longer? Can you make it one more day? Can you make it one more hour? Can you go, can you go one more minute? Last week, I was getting an MRI on my back and my neck. And listen, I've had a number of MRIs before on my knees and never had one in, in back and neck area. And so when you do the knee MRI, they just push you into the tube uh, feet first. Well, when you do the head and neck one, they put you in head first. That's a little bit freaky. And, and, and so they put this cage on my face, right? That just kind of locks you down. And, and I said, I'm, I'm a little bit nervous. I got to admit, I'm kind of nervous. And I said, and I'm not a guy that panics. That's just not my style. And, and then they put earplugs in. Well, that kind of freaks you out too, you know? And, and, and so as I'm going in, I, they, they covered my eyes. And I said, it's kind of freaky here, you know? They covered my eyes. As long as you can't see it, it's no big deal. And, and so as I'm going in, I, they, I had my hand on my, on my, uh, on my lap and, and I'm going in like this and the top of my hand are rubbing on the tube. And I, but I look up, but I can't see anything because I got this rag on my face. And, and I'm thinking, I'm just a huge burrito in here. <laughs> and I got to admit, I was, it was just a bit panicky. I told the technician, I was like, I, I don't panic, but I'm a little bit nervous. And, and he said, listen, 
well, he told me first it was going to be an hour long because it was two sections. So it was an hour long MRI. And I'm like, I can't do an hour. There's no way I can do an hour. And the tech said, the first 60 seconds are the hardest. If you can make it through 60 seconds, one minute, you're good. And I thought, well, I can do a minute. Okay, what scripture do I memorize? He even asked, what kind of music do you want? I'm like, I'm a 70s, 80s kid. And I go, oh, no, I need Christian music right now. <laughs> and listen, you know what? I'm so thankful that I've invested the time into memorizing scripture. I, I just lay in there memorizing scripture, just quoting scripture. And my mind was completely at ease. In fact, halfway through, they took me out. They said, um, you know, we want to give you a chance to stretch out. And I said, do you guys need a break or something? They said, no. And I said, I'm good. I can go back in there if you want to go back in there. Listen, nobody's asking you to endure for two years. Give me a minute. Can you endure for 60 seconds? Because if you can go 60 seconds, you can go an hour. If you can go an hour, you can go a day. If you can do a day, you can do a year. Not, two years is not that bad. So can you go a little bit longer? Can you go just, just one more day? One more day where, where his mercies are new every morning. Can you go one more day where his grace is sufficient for you? Can you go one more day when his power is made perfect in weakness? Can you go one more day of not growing weary and doing good? Can you go one more day trusting that all things work together for your good and his glory? You go one more day of realizing that this temptation is not too great for you. One more day to trust that God is faithful. One more day to remember that he promised to never leave you or forsake you just a little bit longer. 60 seconds. Go to 60 seconds first. Well, how do you do that? Point number two, you go from forgetful to fruitful. Think about what Joseph named his sons. He named the first one Manasseh. You know what Manasseh means? It means to forget my past troubles. Ephraim means doubly fruitful. So if you're going to go from suffering to fruitful, then at some point you have to forget your suffering. I know there are things that you're going through that are really difficult, but, but those things that you're going through, this time right now that you're going through, it's nothing compared to the glory that's going to be revealed in you. Romans 8, verse 18, For I consider, Paul said, the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Glory awaits. Like, that's the next thing. And Joseph is this beautiful example of just patient endurance and working hard with a good attitude in the midst of, of darkness and suffering. Listen, we have to stop being so depressed about how bad things are right now. Is the world bad? Yes. But it's not our home. And if it's not our home, then it's not where our hope is. In fact, it is so bad that God actually sent a Savior, and he promised his wrath on it. God is not going to make the world better. God's going to make a new world. And we don't have to live in a world where we, we compare yesterday's suffering and today's suffering. I mean, it, we can remember tomorrow, right? We don't have to live in suffering. We don't have to live in, in just complaining about how bad things have been and how bad things are. 
Because if you're in Christ, this, this stuff that you're going through today is, is nothing compared to the, what you're going to enjoy tomorrow. You got to go from forgetful to fruitful. Philippians 1, for I am confident of this very good thing. He who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. So I can endure this just a little bit longer because the one who began a good work in me is going to see it through to completion until Jesus comes back. Look at verse 53. And when the seven years of plenty which had been in the land of Egypt came to an end, and the seven years of famine began to come, just as Joseph had said, then there was famine in all the lands, but in all the land of Egypt there was bread. So when all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried out to Pharaoh for bread, and Pharaoh said to all the Egyptians, go to Joseph. Whatever he says to you, you shall do. And when the famine was spread over all the face of the earth, then Joseph opened up all the storehouses, sold to the Egyptians, and the famine was severe in the land of Egypt. And the people of all the earth came to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph because the famine was severe in all the earth. If Joseph would have lived in yesterday's suffering, if he would have just slacked off in Potiphar's house, if he would have just said, fine, I'm in jail, I'm just going to do the very minimum, I'm not going to have a good attitude. I'm not going to work hard. It's unfair. I shouldn't even be in here. If that was Joseph, I doubt we'd even know anything about him. And these, these last few verses really give us a glimpse into how God divinely orchestrates all of these things that have happened to Joseph in order to fulfill his bigger plans, his covenant plans to preserve Jacob, to preserve Israel. And it ultimately goes all the way back to Abraham because God promised Abraham that he was going to give him descendants that would number the stars of the sky and the sands of the sea. And Israel, Jacob, his family, they're all sojourning now, and they're about to get hungry. And God's going to send them to Joseph. And so the same one that they sold into slavery, the same one that his father thought was dead, God has been preparing, think about this now, God has been preparing a savior for Israel before Israel knew they would need one. That's the way that God works. Joseph is part of that plan, just like Jesus is part of that plan. What, what do we need in order to, be, to go from forgetful to fruitful? Some will go, I, I just need more knowledge and more experience, then I can become more fruitful. Listen, nothing is further from the truth. Should you gain knowledge? Well, of course. Should you gain experience? Of course. But don't wait until your elder qualified to move on from yesterday's trouble and be fruitful today. Philippians 3, verse 12, not that I have already obtained it or I've already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. We have to keep moving forward. It's part of forgetting. It's part of bearing fruit. Remember the woman at the well? She was the first evangelist. How much does she know? This man told me everything about me. I believe he's the Messiah. Peter denied him. Becomes a leader of the early church. Why? Because he forgot what was behind him and reached forward to what lied ahead. 
God, God doesn't need those who, who seem like they have the perfect lives in order to accomplish his perfect will. He used the Israelites. I mean, they whined. He used a murderer like David and an adulterer like David. He used apostles who had abandoned Christ in fear. He used Moses. Moses who got angry. He used Jacob who deceived. He used Noah who got drunk. He used Adam and Eve who disobeyed. He used Paul who was Saul who persecuted. He used Solomon who worshiped idols. He used Abraham who had multiple wives. I mean, even John the Baptist doubted. Abraham doubted, Sarah doubted, Nicodemus doubted, Thomas doubted. Jonah ran, he was a prophet and he ran from God's will. Samson self-served, John worshiped an angel. All were fruitful in spite of past sin issues. Are you able to get past yesterday's sorrows, today's troubles, and move forward to tomorrow's fruit? Today's fruit. Let's not even worry about tomorrow, right? Tomorrow is enough trouble of its own. Let's just worry about today. Be faithful today, knowing that God is going to put you where he wants you at the time that he wants you there. Which brings us to our final point. Number three, go the way of humility. Go the way of humility. As you're waiting on God to fulfill his purpose, go the way of humility. You know what the way of humility is? It's the way of faithfulness. The way of humility is living for him and not for ourselves. The way of humility is maintaining our convictions and trusting God when it would be easier to give in and sin. I'm just going to read a, a verse, and uh, Josh, if you want the, the worship team to come up. First Peter 5, verses 6 to 11. He says, Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you you notice what it says? At the proper time. Casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. But resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. And after you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace who called you, by, called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you to him be dominion forever and ever. Amen. Amen. What's he saying? Go a little bit longer. Go from forgetful to fruitful. Go the way of humility because God is opposed to the proud but gives grace to the humble. Our Father, thank you for this passage of scripture, what an encouragement it is to us to see these things happen in Joseph's life, literally a month of preaching through just difficulty and suffering. And then one chapter, all of it makes sense. Father, I know there's a lot of suffering and difficulty in our body. And even for that, we're grateful because it gives us an opportunity to love one another. And some may never even get to see the, where it all makes sense. All of that we wait for in glory. Father, thank you for an opportunity to come and to, to share your word, to be encouraged by one another, to be taught by your spirit. 
and to open your word and, and grow by it. God, take this time of our singing to you and be pleased with it. And we pray in Christ's name. Amen. All right, let's stand together as we...